What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Today's edition of the Cheapest Meal presented by Deep Fried Draft. My name is Brian Bosarge. We've got a great show today. Frankly, a show I've been waiting to do for since I started the Cheapest Meal. We're going to talk all about the greatest team in the NFL, the Cincinnati Bengals. Yes, my bias will show today. But we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals today. And let's get right into that now. My guest today, he writes about the NFL draft and the Cincinnati Bengals for the Athletic Cincinnati and is my main follow for the unfiltered Bengals analysis. He is Joe Goodberry. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Brian. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm I'm so glad you uh, came on the show today because, well, football season's here and, more importantly, Bengals football season is here. So, uh, before we get into the uh, – the game the other night I want to I just got to ask I have to know what made you a fan of the Bengals I mean how how did this come about for you because I have my own story I like to hear other people's story yeah I wasn't born in Cincinnati I didn't grow up in Cincinnati uh so for me it's different um you know I I it's hard to say people ask me this all the time and, and it happened when I was a kid so you don't make sound decisions as a child. And if you could, you probably wouldn't choose the Bengals. And I don't know, maybe it was the tiger helmets. Maybe it was the the cool colors. And I was born in the eighties and they were good at the end there in the eighties. And I don't know, somewhere along the lines, it made an imprint on me and uh, I stuck with it, I guess. So I'm guessing you said the helmets there, because I can tell you that's probably why I went with this too, because I remember as like a four or five-year-old kid on like a little Debbie's box, they had a thing with all the helmets on the back, and you could send in the card and check which team you wanted to be a member of that team's fan club. I picked the Bengals. I've been a Bengals fan ever since. That was circa 1984. So here, here I am. Here we are, Bengals fans, glutton for punishment the entire way. Yeah, it hasn't been great, especially if you're you're like us. Then um, you know you, you enjoyed the '80s, but then the '90s were terrible. But it's been fun the last 15 years for the most part. So you know it's not the worst, but you'd like to see this team actually one day get it to the point where you can be proud of them and and actually say, "Yeah, I'm a Bengals fan," and and be happy about it. Yeah, no no doubt about it. So let's get into the. Uh, week one preseason game uh i watched it live the other night i think you did a deep dive into the tape yesterday uh in my to me it was hard not to get excited about the way the first team offense looked out there joe 
It was fun. It was fun for the first time. It's been a while since we've seen a fun Bengals offense. 2015, right? And uh, the last two years, it has been the exact opposite, whether that was offensive line breakdowns, um, scheme breakdowns. I mean, they fired their coordinator in two games in last year. Uh, weapons missing after losing Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu. Uh, really looking for a run game the past two years. I, it's been rough on offense it hasn't been fun it's been a grind they struggled to gain to score 20 points the last couple of years um but i think they're on the verge of changing that you could feel that but just the way they've invested in uh the weapons with drafting guys highly uh hopefully retaining and 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 getting a healthy tyler eifert at tight end uh and trying i guess in a way that I didn't think they would to secure the offensive line, whether that was trading for Cordy Glenn and then using a first-round pick on a center, things they don't normally do. So you go into this offseason and you go into the camp and you've got hopes and there's been sprinkles of, yeah, this offense could be really good. So you wanted to see it in the first preseason game. And they were efficient and they were clean. And and it wasn't just that. It wasn't just Dalton, you know, having a a good performance and, and, delivering the ball accurately like a good point guard the way he, he can on, in his good, on his good days, his good performances. It was scheming guys open. It was that A.J. Green pass on uh, the second play, I believe, where he's in the slot running a drag. That's something they didn't do before with, with Green moving around in, in those ways. And then getting Mixon split out wide and actually throwing him the ball, letting him be who he is, which is a supreme talent, and letting him take the play over on his own uh, and just be just be Joe Mixon. And, and he scored on it. And it was great. And um, sure, there was a couple of mistakes. John Ross, where he fell down, and, and the interception was returned for a pick six. But you know what? I don't expect him to fall down every play, and that's not going to happen all the time. And and they moved on, and they ended up getting Ross the ball, and he looked good on his one catch where he turned took it took a short out route and uh, turned that corner around and, and got up to full speed instantly and gained you know 15 yards on it. And then the Tyler Boyd touchdown where he's actually split out wide, and they're just running a, a pick play at the goal line. And he catches the catches the touchdown. And I, when you look at it, you go, yeah, that's that's who I think this offense is. It's going to rely on their weapons and their targets and getting their guys in space and manufacture some plays for them. And if that's the case, they're already further off than they were the last two years. The release of Brandon LaFell is a good sign, not necessarily to see a man lose his job per se, but the fact that it shows that they trust and they seem to have some trust in John Ross and Tyler Boyd and maybe even a uh, Josh Malone who showed some good things yep. the other night. Is that the way you feel about it? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's definitely what it was. Um, they liked Brandon LaFell and they liked him as a veteran and what he brought to the to that room um, in terms of knowing what to do, being able to play every position. Uh, his professionalism, and I think they that's why they didn't cut him earlier, because he had a roster bonus. They could have saved another million dollars on their cap, but they wanted to make sure these young guys, they liked them, but you need to see it, and you need to see it a little bit more in a team setting. Um, so they get into camp, and Boyd looks fantastic. Honestly, Boyd looks better than I ever thought he'd, he'd look. Um, it, well, coming out of Pitt, he wasn't a guy that was overly athletic, he was going to need to become a very good route runner, and he's going to have to to win most of his contested situations because most of his targets are, are going to be in that because he's not going to gain the separation of, of a guy like an A.J. Green or John Ross will. He's going to have to be a very good route runner and, 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 and win in contested situations, and he has been doing that in camp. Uh, and I would like to see it more in preseason, but he did score off one catch for three yards. So seeing Boyd, 
this camp so far, I think the team said, okay, that's our slot guy, and he may get 80 targets this year. He may get 100 targets as the number two uh, as the number two guy. And if that's the case, that replaces a lot of what you got in LaFell, even if that's 11, 12 yards per catch, but a consistent, reliable receiver and avoids that, it really – your need for LaFell was was shortened for the Bengals. And, and the way Josh Malone practiced that first week, the way John Ross has responded, he's been healthy, he's running good routes, he's getting open consistently, he's had some issues with drops in camp. But I think they looked at it and said – there's no way we can keep Malone and Ross off the field as the other boundary guy. Um, and the way Boyd's playing in the slot, this offense flows through A.J. Green. We'd like to get the ball mixed in a Giovanni Bernard. We'd like to use Tyler Eifert in the red zone. There's not enough balls to go around for a guy who really doesn't create for this offense and Brandon LaFell. So I agree with you. I think it's a testament to everyone else that LaFell wasn't needed anymore. And that's huge because they needed him the last two years in the worst way because they didn't have anyone else to really step up. The biggest topic of conversation all offseason was probably the offensive line. Uh, the other night, I believe the left side looked good. You had Cordy Glenn solidifies left tackle. Clint Bowling, probably their best offensive lineman on the team. And uh, Billy Price had his ups and downs, but was mostly solid. Uh, but the right side, is that still a question? Yeah, I think it is. Um, looking at who they went out there and started with Trey Hopkins at right guard and Bobby Hart at right tackle, uh, that was the first depth chart released. I think those positions are still up for grabs. I, I think they really just put those guys out there because a boy, he and Fisher have not had great camps. Um, not that Hart has. I just think they look at it and say, well, we'll go with Hart for now because those other two guys haven't responded. We don't want to hand them starting jobs like we have in years past and they haven't responded. Uh, and at guard, I think Hopkins just being the incumbent while Christian Westerman had a, um, uh, food poisoning to start camp and lost some weight. He didn't have a full chance yet. And Alex Redman, while probably their best run-blocking guard of those three fighting for that position, I think he's probably the worst in pass protection. And I, and I, and I don't believe they want that in this offense where a guy that could be a liability inside like that. So he is still in the battle, but I think he's got to be better in pass protection. And I, and I don't think he was Thursday night, even though I thought he run-blocked really well. Um, but Christian Westerman, Westerman to me looked like their best guard. He only played left guard um, with the backups and second teams, but he stood out consistently and a lot. And I think he still has a chance to win that job at right guard. I think at right tackle, man, Fisher and a boy, he did not look good as backups. Hart really only had one negative pass block and one negative run block. And he was okay in the other, in the other plays. Uh, and I think that's, that's all right. Uh, but at the same time, it's definitely still a weakness. <laughs> you know, I, I look at it and I say, well, only two bad plays out of, you know, 15, that's okay because we've seen worse over the last two years at that spot. But at the same time, I think, oh boy, he probably had his best performance in a long time at right tackle and with the backups. He looks different. They're using him a little bit differently. Before with Paul Alexander, it was more of a catch technique with wide, low hands. That was bad for him because he has slow and a late punch anyways and a weak punch. He would get beaten by bull rushes a lot because of it. Under Frank Pollock, new offensive line coach from the Cowboys, He's using a post arm, which is your right arm as he's playing right tackle. He's getting that right arm on those guys first and kind of riding them and being in control for earlier in the play and more often throughout the play. And I think that helps him a lot. I'd like to see him do that against starters. I want to see if maybe he can be salvaged. I, I never really was a big fan of Cedric Abuehi, but I definitely thought it was a terrible mix with Paul Alexander. And, I, and that's what we received on the other end was 
you know, him not being able to perform at any type of level that would tell you he could be a starting player. And then Jake Fisher, I don't know if he's even in the running anymore at right tackle. It looks like he's just being the backup left tackle at this point. He played mostly left tackle at Oregon as a prospect. I wonder if that they're just saying, all right, he's our backup left tackle in case Cordy Glenn gets hurt, and Glenn has been hurt in the past and, and just very recently. So uh, I would still like to see him get his opportunity to play right tackle. I think he's the most talented of, the, of them. But he continues to have just plays where you're like, man, he just – what is he doing? What? How does that happen? How did you let that guy inside? How did you just lunge the way you did, bend at your uh, waist, and, and and miss and allow that guy to get a free rush at the quarterback. And then he has a lot of positive plays, too. Fisher is probably their best second-level blocker in the run game, climbing up to the second level, walling off linebackers, getting to the safety sometimes. You know, it's impressive in that, in that way, but then you can't have the big negatives, and I think that's what this offensive line is trying to avoid. And I think that's why Hart and Hopkins got the first start. And if they continue to play just being okay, I think those are the guys that will probably start unless unless Christian Westerman can get in there because I thought he had a really good performance. Um, and just to talk about Billy Price at center, because Russell Bodine was, was really the biggest issue on the offensive line the past four years. Um, it should be an upgrade to to Price, but Price had his struggles uh, Thursday night against the Bears. He That length is an issue. We knew about it coming out. Um, he's really not – laterally the most agile guy. I thought he showed good explosion when he was climbing to the second level and, and pulling uh, on one run play where he really got out there. Bodine couldn't do that for this team. It should help a lot. There was a lot of plays where the nose tackle handled handled him and handled him easily, shed him, uh, and made stops at the line or behind the line. There was I had him down for four negative and big negative plays. Uh, so there's still some growing pains up there, and he's had snap issues in preseason. So I do think he'll be an upgrade over Bodine. I just don't know if that means the first six games or if it means the, probably the last six games when he hits his stride and, and, and understands what he has to do. Um, so. Yes, the offensive line, to answer your question, is still the issue, and it's still mostly center to right tackle. Yeah, I agree there. One last question on the offense. Uh, am I crazy to think that if you, you can put 10, maybe 15 pounds on Alden Tate, you can make him a move tight end? Because, I mean, he's been the talk of camp, and he had a great game the other night. Alden Tate's interesting. If you watch him at Florida State, this is exactly who he was. He was a big, tall, strong guy, super strong hands, good ball skills, tracks it well, plays it high. Um, he just can't move. He can't run. He, he's not agile. He tested like maybe the worst um, drafted receiver of all time in, at the Combine. Uh, he literally has the athletic profile of a tree. I've been calling him Groot because that's who he reminds me of. He's just a big, tall, long guy that's strong and he's been making spectacular catches in camp. And when they needed to drive down the field and score on Thursday night, they went to him three times in a row, basically. And the first one, the guy is blanketed on him, but gets past interference call, and Tate still makes a diving sideways catch. That was impressive. The next play they go to him, Tate has to push off because he's not getting open, still makes a crazy catch. You know, it was still impressive, even though he had to push off and got flagged for it. And then as Driscoll's rolling out and just looking for anybody to be open, he figures – why not throw it up to Tate? 30 yards downfield, Tate jumps up for it. The corner basically just bounces off of him, and he, he makes a contested high-point catch in the end zone to score, and that's who he is. It's, it's funny because everyone's going crazy, and they're excited over Tate, and it is exciting. But so far, he's exactly who he was advertised as, and that got him drafted in the seventh round. 
Um, I need to see him run a slant. I need to see him run a, a double move or a, a post route. He needs to be able to win in other ways or else can he just be a red zone target? Can he just be a jump ball receiver? You don't see that in the NFL often where a guy is maybe the fifth receiver on the roster and they bring him in for five plays a game. You're going to have to contribute on special teams to, be, to, to really justify that role on the roster. He needs to be more. He needs to do more than, than what he has shown so far, even though what he has shown is excellent and fun and worth something because it scores touchdowns. Um, I agree with you. I think if you he's 228, 230 now at 6'5", you know, and some change. Yeah, try and put 20 pounds on him, use him as a move tight end. Basically what they're doing with Tyler Eifert right now is probably what you what you would want to do with Auden Tate in that role. You're going to want to just get him in red zone situations, split him out, get an advantageous situation where he's against a smaller defensive back, and throw him up the ball. That's what you're doing with Tyler Eifert now anyways at this point when, when you're trying to avoid injuries and avoid uh, the, the wear and tear he's taking on his body. So for me, it makes sense. Yes, you can do that. Uh, I just wonder if he will prove and show enough in every other situation to say, yep, Tate's on the roster, and we'll find a way to use him. Or he'll be inactive for, for um, you know, this year as they do develop him and try and work on those other parts of his game. And maybe you come back next year and, and you say, yeah, he's a, he's a move tight end or a red zone weapon or whatever the case may be. But he is an interesting player. He's still fighting for that last roster spot, I think, at receiver. I think he's got to show something on special teams or show something other than the jump ball, big body catches. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on all that. Uh, moving over to the defense, we're gonna get contracts here for Geno Dunlap. Both, neither. I think I think so. I think they were close with Dunlap, and I think that's why his agent Drew Rosenhaus was there at the beginning of camp. Um, I think it could happen. I think it should happen. I think both sides want it to happen. So, uh, same with Atkins and. The hard part is Aaron Donald holding out with the, with the Rams. You'd kind of want to see if you're Atkins, you'd want to see what Donald's going to get. If he's going to break the bank and be paid like a like the best defensive player in football, which he probably should be. I think taking under market deals, which is the way Cincinnati normally operates, um, is a tough pill to swallow. But at the same time, you're probably going to see all of that money, unlike you would in, for other cities and other contracts. So um, it's always different for the Bengals players to assess their value and take a contract from the organization because you're never going to see the same exact numbers you're going to see outside. But at the end of the day, the effective guarantee and the effective money you'll see is usually comparable, if not more. So um, it's betting on yourself that you'll be healthy and you'll be, you'll be productive all four or five years of that contract. But I, I do think both guys are cornerstone players still in the primes of their career, even if it's on the other side of the hill. Uh, for both of them, and I, I think they're important enough to to throw money at. Vontez, perfect. Is is he ever going to be able to be counted on, or are we just it, it's writing him off at this point? After four years of pretty much either injury or suspension to start the year, I don't know how we can count on him. I don't know how you look at it and say, yeah, he's a really, really, really good player. I mean, he he makes the defense tick when he's out there. But you just don't know what you're going to get in terms of health um, and durability, in terms of character at times, because he just seems to flip that switch like an Indomitian Sioux does, and 
does something stupid or unnecessary. Um, you saw it in the playoff game. The playoff game against the Steelers is really the greatest example of what Vontaze Perfect is, right? He, he took that game over when they needed it. It was a good defensive showing, but he took it over. He started making stops and hits and hit, hitting Big Ben, um, really clearing out the middle of that defense, the middle of the, of the field with with hits, big hits, and then the interception at the end to to really seal the game where he runs through the tunnel and you're like, man, he took over. They needed someone like that. They needed someone to really stand up and take over, and he did. And then the Steelers get the ball back and he has a terrible hit over the middle that really didn't have to happen, and it led to a, a, a following penalty, and the game was over from that point after a field goal. And that's that's who he is. You, you live and you die by the sword, and that's that's Vontaze Perfect and the Bengals right now. And, I, you know, I, I kind of hate it because I wish they had another linebacker to replace him, but at the same time they don't, so they need him. Yeah, and uh, this, this new helmet contact rules – probably going to be bad for perfect if we're going to be honest yo it it probably is going to be terrible Uh, he's going to get suspended again right a player that i think we both agree on is 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 on the on the uptick is is william jackson the third what's his ceiling it's his ceiling's as good as any corner in the league i believe and i thought that when he was coming out as a prospect i really loved jackson if you remember that year, the Bengals really wanted a receiver, whether it was Corey Coleman, Josh Doxson, or Will Fuller. Um, I think we all had our eyes on, on a, as a, at a receiver at that spot. I thought Jackson was a top 10 or 12 prospect. And then when the receiver run happened right before the Bengals, I look at the board, I'm like, Jackson's still there. Do it. Even though the Bengals have drafted so many corners and really haven't played them early in their careers. They've sat for one, two, three years at times with, with Darquez Denard and Drake Kirkpatrick being examples of that, um, it, I think everyone was done with drafting a corner. But then here we are two years later, and we say, yeah, we, the Bengals have a number one guy and maybe a shutdown guy, maybe a guy that offenses are going to say, you know what, I'm not going to throw that way. I'm not because it's too risky. And it's really like a Richard Sherman type of corner more than a, a, a Darrell Rivas type. And I think he can hit that level. And the the thing that um, makes him really good, and it's not just his length and his speed, and he has both of those, it's his ball skills. And I talk about ball skills all the time because I really think it, it separates receivers from the, natu- the natural receivers from the, the athlete guys, and it separates the corners from the guys that panic and pull and tug when they're running downfield and the ball's in the air from the guys that are cool and calm, collected, and go up and make a play on it. And that's William Jackson. He, his ball skills are – so good, and that's what made Richard Sherman uh, as good as he was. There were, there's a chance that their ball skills are better than your receiver's ball skills, and that doesn't happen in the NFL. That does not happen in today's NFL. If you're good and you can score points, you end up on the offensive side of the ball somewhere in high school or college, and you don't end up being a corner. These guys are at corner, and there's a chance they're going to judge that ball, track it, and make a play on it better than your receiver will, and that makes it extremely risky for quarterbacks to, to test that side of the ball test that side of the field um and i think it doesn't take much i think the tape last year showed it i you could end up going into this year where offenses say we're not throwing it that way it's too risky to throw it towards jackson drake kirkpatrick is more of a liability on that side darquez denard can be beaten in the slot even though i like both those guys and i think the Bengals have good corners um 
you're not going to throw it towards Jackson when those other guys can be beaten in different ways. Uh, with Denard, it's, it's athleticism and speed. And with, with Kirkpatrick, it's really ball skills and downfield throws. And if that's the case, you're not going to test Jackson. And I think he's really is one of the two guys of the young guys, the other one being Carl Lawson, that could really change this defense and get them over the hump and get them to a, to a point where they haven't been. The Bengals have had good defenses over the last 15 years. They've never had an elite defense or a, a, an elite guy in that back end, even though they've had really good corners in, in Leon Hall, Jonathan Joseph, Adam Jones has had great years. Um, they've had that, but they haven't had a guy that really shuts down half the field. And I think Jackson can definitely be that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, last question on the Bengals. Uh, season's over with what's the final record for this team i struggle to pinpoint it because we've seen every outcome almost for the Bengals under marvin lewis right and even in the last five to six seven years we've seen every outcome from bad rosters that somehow make the playoffs in like 2011 to extremely good rosters that have an injury at the end and 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 can't hold it together in 2015 to Rosters that have strengths but weaknesses they can't over the, overcome, I think the last two years is, is an example of that. Um, and now I feel like they understand who they are a little bit more. They've got young guys that are on the verge of stardom. They've got weapons on the offense, again, for the first time since 2015. Uh, and I think that's when Dalton is at his best. Is It's not so much – I do think he needs a good offensive line, but I think – the weapons make the biggest difference for him. And if someone's open on every play, because the line got beat on Thursday night, there was times the Cordy Glenn, Bobby Hart completely whiffed, but the ball was already out because the guy's wide open. Um, and that's when I feel the most confident about the offense. And in that case, I think they can go 10 and six. I think this defense is the strength of the team. Of the team. I think this defense could be a top 10 unit, a top five pass rush unit um, and pass defensive, uh, te- pass defensive team. So, that team could probably go ten and six, maybe eleven and five. The schedule is not that 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 bad this year. But on the other end, they are a very volatile team. They're relying on inconsistent and risky players. They're relying on Cordy Glenn, who may not be healthy for more than eight games. They're relying on relying on Tyler Afer, who may not be healthy for more than four games. John Ross, again, may not be healthy for at all. May never catch a pass. We saw that last year. Um, there's a lot of that and it could blow up in their face and we've seen it happen and it happened last year. I thought they could overcome some issues last year if Ross and Eifert stayed healthy and they didn't, uh, if they got Mixon involved in the, in the game and involved in the passing game and they didn't, and those things could happen again. And if they do, I think you're looking at a six and 10, seven and nine record again. And it's not crazy to say because it's largely the same team it's been. And and, and we've seen this team um, falter, even though they've had talent. So, I think it's in that range. It's hard for me to pinpoint. I feel like nine and seven makes sense. I, I feel like they'll have their struggles, but could overcome a lot of them with with the weapons and talent they have. So, um, I, I do think they're that they could potentially compete for a wild card, and uh, maybe if the division's not that good, compete for the division title. That sounds sounds very logical there. Uh, Joe, you're one of the best uh, draft eval guys out there, in my opinion. Uh, but you watched little to no college tape until after the season. Pro and con that for me. I, I just want to want to get a beat on that. 
started, I used to like and watch a lot of college football during the year. But as I had a family and I started taking more responsibility and um, writing responsibilities for the Bengals, it, you know, I, I felt like I was taking too much time away and too much effort away from what I really cared about, and that's watching pro football and the, and the Bengals. So um, I was like, you know what? Coaches aren't really watching until the season's over anyways. They may catch a game here or there as you're hanging out, and I do too. But you really start in January, February, as the senior bowl starts, you start to get introduced to those players. I'm saying this is what the coaches mostly do. Um, and they still make sound evaluations and opinions. So I, I, a few years ago I tried it, and I was like, okay, this works for me. I don't get the high ups and downs, the highs and lows throughout the college football season where you'll see other evaluators say, um, you know, after three or four games, this guy's a first-round pick. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe he is. You know, maybe, maybe you feel really good about that. I, I, I can't agree. I'd like to see more tape. I'd like to see how the rest of the season plays out. And those are the same guys that are touting, I had it first, you know, when, when, when March, April, May come around. Well, I was the first guy on that. Yeah, but you're on it in October when there was 10 more games to play. So for me, I don't, I don't feel like I'm missing out on that. I feel like go ahead and ride the roller coaster I'm going to watch it at the end of the year. Um, and I, you know, for me, I, I'll go through a game sometimes. I'm like, what, what team is this guy even on? And I'm like, oh, Maryland. That's what they're wearing weird uniforms. Because I, I don't pay attention to college football that often anymore. And uh, people will be like, oh, yeah, that's because they run this scheme. I'm like, oh, they do? Well, that's great. I didn't know that, you know. So I'm really isolating the player and evaluating them as an individual without knowing that their quarterback is, is bad. I may get that opinion after a couple of games without knowing that this guy was a five-star recruit or that the scheme is really helping this guy by, by, you know, creating opportunities for him. I may gain that opinion after a few, a few games, but I go in there with really a blank slate on probably 95% of these prospects. And I just say, okay, present to me who you are. I don't, you know, I don't go in saying, oh, I hate Oklahoma or whoever it is because I, I don't have a favorite team. I, I, I go in saying, show me who you are. And after three games, four games, five, six games, I, ha- I feel like I have a good unbiased opinion. Now I create biases, of course, that anyone does as I'm watching. Um, I may say, man, this guy, you know, he just made a lot of big plays. I really like him. I, really, I could end up liking a personality the way I did for like a Baker Mayfield. Um, but, you know, those things will happen. But I go in, hopefully clean slate and allow those players to present themselves to me. You mentioned the senior bowl. Are you ever going to get down here to my hometown of Mobile for that one, Joe? Oh, that's your hometown, huh? Oh, man, I would love to, actually. Um, it always ends up not, you know, working out for me. I feel like I look up from the season and everyone's like, oh, we got hotels or credentials within a week of the, for the senior bowl. And I'm still down on the Bengals and down on football as a whole at that point in, in January. But I need to remind myself that it looks like a good time. Everyone seems to have a good time when they go. And uh, I, I really need to make an effort to do it this year and, and hopefully, hopefully um, get down there. Yeah, I think, I think you really enjoy it uh, being down here and, you know, actually eating some probably real seafood. I don't know what you get in western New York, but I guarantee it's not as good as seafood as you're going to get down here. I guarantee it's not, and I love seafood. It sounds uh, if that's if if that's the selling point, I'm already there. Um, I'm surrounded by the Great Lakes <laughs> in Western New York, but that's not seafood. That uh, you know, I'm not getting I'm not getting seafood. That's that's lake food, and that's not that's not the same thing. That's that's not the same thing, Joe. Uh, last thing, you're a big comic book guy, uh, comic book movies and such, and we've we've talked about it back and forth on Twitter. 
a minute or less, Avengers 4, how's it going to go down? So basically, if you've read the Infinity Gauntlet comic, this, this the comic starts with the snap. Okay, spoilers, the snap happens in Avengers 3, right? But So the comic starts with the snap. In, the, in Avengers 4, I, I believe it's going to start, or as it ended in, in, in Avengers 3 with the snap, 4 will probably be more like the comics. How do we get everyone back? How do we fix it? What you know, and I don't know how it's going to go down. I, I I feel like Doctor Strange giving up the Time Stone and like the way he looked in the Thanos, like go ahead, do it. You know, use the Time Stone. You're going to create a rift in time and space. That's going to be their in and their way to maybe you know go to alternate dimensions or back in time to fix things. But um, uh, yeah. So for me, I, I'm I'm more excited for Avengers Four, even though Three was a, a really good time. Yeah, it was. It was an awesome flick. Uh, Joe, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Uh, tell everybody where we can find your work. Subscribe to The Athletic. It's about $3 a month. They're adding so many good writers. It's going to be worth your time. And, and you get access to everything. If you, you know, it's not just Bengals or you know, uh, whatever city you're in. It's access to the entire slate of writers from every city. So you can, you can be a fan of the Orlando Magic and the, the Cleveland Indians and the, the, the New York Knicks or whoever, and you can read all of it. And, um, you know, they keep adding more cities and more writers, so it's definitely worth the $3 a month, and, or at least we're trying to make it worth it. And then Twitter, and we can talk on Twitter, and we can conversate, and we can talk about anything if you're on there, at Joe Goodberry on Twitter. Yeah, it's definitely definitely worth the dough because uh, it's not a whole lot considering what you probably blow your money on otherwise, and you're going to get great content uh, that y'all pour out on a daily basis. Joe, again, thanks so much for coming on today, and uh, hopefully, like I said, I'll see you in January down here. That'd be awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot. That was Joe Goodberry, uh, writer for The Athletic Cincinnati. Um just a great Twitter follow. If you're not following Matt Joe Goodberry, um, we just talked about pretty much top to bottom, the Cincinnati Bengals roster um, and what it looks like going forward uh, for the Bengals this season. Uh, some, some excitement there, but also some hesitancy. Uh, Joe gives it always gives his unfiltered uh, opinion. Uh, he doesn't wear the, uh, the orange and black uh, tinted glasses, if you will. And uh, I respect that a lot about him. But that's going to do it for today's edition of the Cheat Meal. As always, follow me on Twitter at Deep Fried Draft and uh, follow everything at deepfrieddraft.com. Download this at uh, blogtalkradio.com slash deepfrieddraft. You can also search the cheapest meal on uh, iTunes and find us there or Stitcher, same thing. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.